0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 522 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I am your host. I'm very excited about this week's Writer in Residence coming up because she's carved out a very successful career and is a great example of an author who has really become an active member of the writing community, and that pays off because not only does it get you visibility, it means that so many others are keen to support you as well because you've been so supportive of everyone else in in their careers. She's a great example of the saying that a rising tide raises all ships, but more on her later. For this week's tip, I have a couple of apps for you. The first one uh, is one I recently posted in the podcast community on Facebook. Now, also, if you're not already a member of the podcast community on Facebook, do join us. It's free to join. It's a great listener community. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to have you in there. So many different um, aspiring and emerging and established authors and writers from all walks of life. Anyway... The app that I mentioned is Danger Notes. Now, quite some time ago, Alison Tate and I uh, recommended an app or mentioned an app called Write or Die, but that was a long time ago and it hasn't really been updated very much. Basically, it was called that because it encouraged you to keep writing on the screen and if you didn't keep writing, it would start deleting your words So, a much more updated one and probably a safer one to use at the moment is called Danger Notes. So, I'll put the um, link in the show notes, but Danger Notes, according to the App Store, says this: don't stop typing. If you do, all your work will disappear and be gone forever. Danger Notes is the ultimate writing tool to help fight writer's block. Whether you're writing a term paper, an essay, a book, your best man's speech, promising rap lyrics or just free writing, Danger Notes will help you fight writer's block by forcing you to keep writing in order to save your progress from being deleted. The theory behind this wonderful tool is that by pressuring you to keep writing, you'll be forced to formulate an actual flow of written work instead of just staring at a blank document for two hours with no progress to show for. Okay, so danger notes is something that certainly will make you keep writing. Otherwise, your words are going to disappear. Give it a go. Sometimes that time frame or that time pressure can be really useful because I used to use this app called the email game and unfortunately they discontinued it but I absolutely loved it because it gamified answering emails and it gave you a timer and it gave you a score and you know things splashed across the screen if you did it quite quickly and I loved it because I would get to inbox zero a lot and um it would really enable me to get through my email, e- emails. If somebody knows of a similar app like that, I would love to know because I found it so effective. The other app that I've got for you is called Endless Paper. This is for, I think it's mainly for the iPad, but basically it's called Endless Paper where you can, it's, think of it like a whiteboard that goes on forever. The tagline is infinite canvas to grow ideas. But basically, this is not for... Well, I wouldn't use it for writing. I would use it for mind mapping. And I love mind mapping. And sometimes mind mapping can be really useful when you're working at your scenes or your structure or your characters and how your characters relate to each other or how different incidences in the, in the story relate to each other. Imagine it's like, you know, the famous scene of Car- Carrie from Homeland where you suddenly see her wall and the all the 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 bits and pieces the all the massive mind map that she's got going on linking all of her clues together yes very carry from homeland except digital but the thing is unlike a wall cuz you can carry eventually you ran out of her wall this is called endless endless paper so you could just go further and further as far as you want not only wide but also deep so you can zoom in to something and just keep on writing and zoom in further very inception right so it is something that's potentially quite good if you want to see how everything links together and you don't want to and you're quite a visual person and or or you love mind mapping as i do so endless paper that's endless paper dot app. But uh, like I said, I will put the link in the show notes. And of course, if you don't know where to find the show notes, um, one great place to look is writercenter.com.au slash podcast and everything will be there as well. All right, let's move on to our competition this week. Aha, I have three copies of The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis. I mean... If, you, if you're like me, you kind of grew up on Brett Easton Ellis um, back when he did Less Than Zero and American Psycho and and that sort of thing. But this is his latest book. His It's his first novel in 12 years, though. So here's a quick synopsis. Los Angeles, 1981. 17-year-old Brett is a senior at the exclusive... Buckley Prep School when a new student arrives with a mysterious past. Robert Mallory is bright, handsome, charismatic and shielding a secret from Brett and his friends even as he becomes part of their tightly knit circle. Brett's obsession with Mallory is equaled only by his increasingly unsettling preoccupation with the trawler, a serial killer on the loose who seems to be drawing ever closer to Brett and his friends, taunting them with grotesque threats and horrific, sharply local acts of violence. Can he trust his friends or his own mind to make sense of the danger they appear to be in? Thwarted by the world and by his own innate desires, buffeted by unhealthy fixations, Brett spirals into paranoia and isolation as the relationship between trawl- the trawler and Robert Mallory hurtles inexorably towards a collision. Well, there you go. Entries close on Monday the 23rd of January. I have three copies to give away of The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis. Just go to writerscentercomau win and follow the instructions. And if you are at that URL in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic competition for you to enter. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? The word of the week is misophonia, M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I, misophonia. Now, if you have misophonia, you have negative responses to specific sounds. So it's not just like, you know, jumping at a loud noise. Misophonia means a very strong emotional reaction. For example, the sound of chewing might make you sick or the sound of yawning makes you super anxious. So it's kind of like the opposite of ASMR, which is, you know, when people have a positive response to certain sounds. So there you go. Do you suffer from misophonia? And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to bridge the gap between being a beginner writer and a novelist? Our course, Writing Workout, is like a writing gym where you'll strengthen your foundation techniques. You'll be given exercises to stretch your writing muscles, receive regular feedback from an experienced writing coach, and you'll make connections with like-minded writers. You'll emerge from this course with improved writing techniques, greater confidence in your storytelling, and a much deeper understanding of your own narrative voice. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash workout. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Some time ago when Penelope was a lawyer, she did some courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and now eight books later, she is one of the most successful authors in the Australian publishing scene. Penelope Janu is a successful author of eight books. Her latest is Shelter from the Storm. She is passionate about creating stories that explore social and environmental issues, but her novels are a celebration of Australian characters and communities and a real sense of place. Thank you so much for joining me today, Penny. It's a pleasure to be here again. Thank you, Valerie, for having me. I'm so excited about your latest book, Shelter from the Storm. There's so much I want to talk to you about because when I first talked to you, that was eight books ago and that was when you released your debut novel, In at the Deep End, and so much has happened to you since. And I would love to chat through how you build longevity in author, in an author career um, in addition to talking about your book because you've done it so successfully. So, But first let's start with, for readers who haven't got their hands on a copy of Shelter from the Storm, what is it about?
1: Uh, Shelter from the Storm is the story of um, Patience Cartwright, who is a successful naval officer. Um, she grew up in the country. She had an unhappy... Background, unhappy family life, except she had the love of her two sisters. Um, she also left um, the country with a broken heart and she vowed never to come back again. Um, Hugo Halstead was actually the man who broke her heart. Um, she ends up, he's a biologist, um, he works in an environmental organization. She has to come back to the country on secondment. And so they end up working together. And it's kind of a false proximity situation. Um, actually, it's loosely based on, um, Jane Austen's persuasion only in this, in my particular version, um, Patience is, um, basically Captain Wentworth and Hugo is, um, Anne Elliot. So a second chance romance very much. So, um, but quite a lot of environmental, um, issues covered as well. Cause I love to do that in my books and also, um, a,
0: a good love story. How would you describe the genre of this novel? Oh, I pref- there
1: is rural romance, um, but I would say rural fiction. I mean, it's really interesting at the moment because, of course, there's so much after following Jane Harper's amazing successes. There's rural crime now and really rural fiction, rural romance. I think rural crime. Um, really, anybody who is really interested in reading about beautiful settings, um, community life, um, you will find very very a lot of similarities with a lot of different genres in that area so so rural fiction certainly um i have the romantic element but basically my books aren't about a man rescuing a woman it's very much the woman's journey it's the woman's story um but the her partner might be relevant to her actually finding where she wants to be um, at the end of her life so you're guaranteed of, a,
0: of an uplifting ending um yeah what did you, um, how did you come up with this idea? What made you want to write this story? I. This is actually, I. all my books are standalone,
1: absolutely standalone, but there are common characters. So there might be a certain farmer that pops up from time to time or a psychologist because usually my um, my women have a certain amount of trauma. <laughs> I don't expect them to fix it by themselves. Um, so often you know, in this particular case there's a, a psychologist who um, has a, a welsh mountain pony stud so she's you know part of the community but um she also helps in that way um so patience is actually the younger sister of um phoebe who was actually um that was my book from last year which was clouds on the horizon this is shelter from the storm and there'll be sunshine through the rain will be my 2024 uh, January book. Um, but, yeah, the environment. Hugo Halstead had actually come up as a very minor character in an early book, and he was a um, an environmental biologist and a herpetologist, which is somebody who specialises in frogs. Um, so I'm going to put a plug in here for Frog ID, which is an amazing app where people actually meant to record <laughs> frogs in their gardens. So I really got into the frogs in a really big way, um, learned a lot about them and dealt with some fantastic um, scientists in writing this book. And Patience herself is uh, a gifted mathematician. Um, so yeah, that interested me. I mean, it starts with character, but then placing characters into this rural setting is also a wonderful way to explore our beautiful natural environment and the threats to our environment. So I
0: cover a lot of those sorts of topics in my books too. Now, you live very much in Sydney. <laughs> Why the attraction to writing a setting of this nature?
1: Uh Well, I I often say I grew up on a horse and I really did grow up on a horse because I was very young when I had my first ponies. Um, And I think that was all part of it. And in those days, boy, um, there was much less supervision of children and so on. And I would just take off at six in the morning and come back at at six at night, as you did um, then. Um, And so obviously riding, trail riding, um, I competed on horses. So that affinity with horses. And we always had animals, whether it's dogs, cats, goats. Horses, um, shetland ponies, whatever. Um, So that's a big attraction. Although, and I suppose that's when we're talking about long longevity of our of my career. My first book in at the deep end was very much an environmental theme because as a lawyer, I I worked and I taught in that area. Um, So that was a lot about Antarctica and and global warming. Um, The second book I wrote um, had horses in it because I thought, well, I can write horses, and it was about horse racing and and sort of an international conspiracy. Again, that's a kind of a legal aspect. Um, And my Publisher at um, HQ HarperCollins, Joe Mackay, said, hmm, it's got horses in it. We could position this as a rural romance. You know, they're doing really well at the moment. And, um, so that notion of pivoting, I suppose, that's how I ended up writing in the rural fiction genre was because I'd written the book with horses and it had a lot of natural environment and community, very different from my first book. Um, but that it's been a joy to me because I, I, I love writing in that area. I love writing about environmental themes and it's something that it's an in, intrinsic part of the story. Um, but, uh, it's also, you know, I can tell the other story as well. So it keeps me really interested, I think, and I think, again, um, as far as a, a longer writing career, um, to be interested in what you're writing and to be fascinated by, by have other things that, that you want to write about.
0: Now, you have carved out an incredibly successful career. You're eight books down the track and you are um, just such a well-known author. You're You're part of the Australian literary scene. You're at the festivals. I always see you at the events. <laughs> I think it, you're such a supportive member of the community as well. But I would like it to you to cast your mind back to before you had even written the first book, In At The Deep End, which came out in 2017. Prior to that, you, as you mentioned, you were a lawyer um, and that's been your career for, well, decades. Um uh, and to summarize for listeners who don't know the story, your daughter came, your daughter Tamsin, who is a beautifully beautiful author in her own right, um, came to a course at the Australian Writer Centre, did the course in um, a, a creative writing course and said, hey, mom, you might like to do this course, which you then subsequently did. And then you kept on going and going and going at that time. Did you just want to do it as something to do, or were you already interested? thinking oh I I think I'm going to change careers or I think I'm going to be an author
1: well look and I think that's something and I think that's where and I think a lot of us and I'm sure a lot of writers obviously listen to this podcast and aspiring writers and I think it's something we have to be careful with I was actually at the dentist last week and he's you know I said I must have said I was a writer on the form and so you know had my mouth open and so on and, and he said oh so did you just do that for a hobby and I really I basically you know No, look, and I think nobody here, we we take our craft, we take our art really, really seriously right from the start. And even though, you know, most writers, you're quite humble or you're modest and you think, oh, my goodness, I might never be published. But that doesn't mean that you take pride in the work right from the start. And I think I have that in common with just about all writers. So for me, I was really fortunate. My children, I just still had, I have six children, but I think, Three was still in high school when I started writing seriously, but they were in the later years of high school and I was still working full-time. But once I really started and I worked out the commitment that was involved and I thought, I just really want to finish a book and I'd really like to have a go at this as a career. And um, so in that way I suppose I really had to take it seriously and I did when I was working full-time, I think my first edit for my first book, I would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'd work till 7, you know, to get the kids off to school and that's what, look, I think we all do that in juggling. It's very hard with young children and I absolutely take my hat off, you know, to, to authors who, who start earlier than I did. As I said, I was, my children more or less grown up so I could organise my time more. Um, I was, as I said, still working full-time at um, universities when I started writing. Um, but then after the first book was picked up, um, then I thought, mm, okay, I had a contract to write another one and I'm not a fast writer. And even though it seems that I'm quite productive, <laughs> it's a full-time job. And so, yeah, I just basically had to start writing
0: full-time in order
1: to write a book a year, which is what I'm doing at the moment.
0: So at that point you obviously decided I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to you know d- develop this as as a career. Mm-hmm. What did you do to to make that happen? I mean there's uh, there's every author's journey is different and it depends on so many things. At that time, I mean you've got the benefit of, of hindsight now, but at the time what did you think to put in place in order to ensure that you know um 5 years down the track you've got eight books <laughs> Uh, well,
1: just a simple thing like getting up early in the morning because I knew that I had to do that, and that was before I was even picked up. I'd paid for a professional editor because I'd finished a manuscript, and so and I saw that as a really useful learning exercise. I didn't know anybody in the writing community at that stage, so I was pretty much on my own. Um, I joined Romance Writers Australia, um, and I met some fantastic people there. Um, I said earlier that, you know, I know quite a lot of people in the industry, that's because there's some such gorgeous people there, but um. But you can't set up to say, oh, you know, would you like to have a coffee with me? Would you like to read your manu- my manuscript? And that has happened to me a few times. I'm always happy to have the coffee. But, no, it doesn't work like that. And I think, you know, you help each other. So it's fantastic to find. And that's where, obviously, the courses at the Australian Writer Centre, you often find people at a similar stage, their writing career, that you are. So if you can find just a few people that you continue to have an association with and perhaps swap work and, and have valuable feedback and liaise with your tutor, that's a great way um, to get going. And I I did that. And it was slow to do it because I wasn't a person that was comfortable sharing my work. I'm still don't share it a lot, but I have really wonderful writing friends. I have a lovely writing group, um, but that didn't happen for a while either. So really, I think it was just a time commitment just to sit down and write and finish the book. That was absolutely essential because you or finish the piece of work, as it may be, or the short story. Mm. Um, Because otherwise, you've got nothing to sell. It's like Selling sounds awful, but it is like that. Nothing to, you have to produce something in order for readers to be able to read it. So it's not about millions of sales necessarily. I think when we start, it's about finding somebody who will engage with your work. You love, end up loving your characters and you love that story and so on. And you want other people to share it. And so you need to get to that stage. You need to finish your work. So that was just making that time commitment whatever it is, and it can be an hour a day or it can be half an hour a day. And also I think getting the people around you, if you can, to respect that you aren't doing a hobby or anything. You <laughs> are working and you are working. And I think we really have to stick up for ourselves. I'm probably a lot bolshier than I was. I used to have more of a, a cringe, I suppose, because in my career, I didn't know other romance readers let alone writers I mean now it's wonderful with this new generation of, of romance readers in their 20s because they'll stand up and they'll fight for it but it was sort of something behind the cover and it was you know you'd read it on your kindle so people and so yeah but now I think it's um yeah, it's really important to stand up for yourself in a way as a writer and also to just to to have the respect of those around you those friends and family that love you They want to do the right thing usually, but you really, in some ways you have to really let them know this is something that's really, really important to me and I need time to do it.
0: So speaking of that then, how much time do you, when you're writing, how much time do you spend each day and do you do it, do you still do it from 3am to 7am? When do you do it? How do you make sure you are as prolific as you are? Yeah. Well, really, I start generally in the mornings at sort of
1: around 6.30 in the morning and from 6.30 to 9.30. I often just stay in the room. I really don't come out if I can avoid it. My husband gives me a cup of tea and goes off to work. Um, That's really um, good writing time for me, those first few hours in the morning. That's where I get new words down. Um, But then I will, I mean, writing is a flexible job, but I write five days a week and I probably write Um, well, I'm in the now I'm not only write, obviously, but then I'll be editing. So I mean, books are ahead. So I'm, I'm submitting my book that's going to be published or will be published hopefully in January 2020. Four now, um, because the twenty twenty three one is done. Um and so then I, you know, you have six or eight weeks of edits at least of, you know, of a book and you have marketing for the new one coming out on the fourth of January. So there is all that during the day, but it really is five days a week. And I if I have a lot of deadlines coming up, you know, I you know, I have exercise, go and have nice walks, I do things, but I really have to do that seven or eight hours a day, or it just won't happen. Um, so
0: during the day, so basically what you're saying is that you do the actual writing from six, about 6.30 to 9.30 every day, well, five days a week, oh, you do wow. the, <laughs> often seven, you do the other stuff, the marketing, the this, the that, the admin, the rest of the time. Is yeah, that I, your I, golden I, period? Is that your sweet spot? The very early, do, you, that you, is, you don't write later?
1: Yeah, Well, because I do write, what I do, I'm a, a writer that I write um very neat and t- I edit as I go and some writers will say, don't do this, and some writers, you know, just do a whole first draft and then they spend months more fixing up that first draft. I basically finish my, usually it's around 104,000 words Um, It is extraordinarily neat and tidy. I'm not saying it's brilliant, but it's very neat and tidy because I do those first words and then I might spend another three hours during the day editing those words, thinking about that. I might walk the dog um, and then I work out, oh, that scene isn't working and I'll know why it's not working. And I think for me that process is working every day at it, thinking about what I'm writing, thinking about if it's the right way to go because it kind of has to be the right way to go with the way I write. Um, Because otherwise, you know, I could be going in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. in a very nice tidy way for a long time. So, (laughs) yeah, so I do have breaks during the day and I think about it, but I do edit a lot. And actually in the evenings, um, usually while I'm kind of cooking dinner, um, I try to write down the beginnings of the scene for the next day. So I then I find I think about that overnight as well. So even if it's just a few sentences, I think, okay, this is what's going to happen in tomorrow morning's writing. And um, sometimes it will happen. Other times, um, no, because um, I've worked out it's gone the wrong way, but I know which way it's going to
0: go. So obviously over all these years you've developed a great system that works for you. Um, uh, presumably that isn't what happened at the start. It's something that evolved over time. I think I
1: basically in getting up early in the morning and dedicating that time to writing, no, I've always written that neat. I've always started on Chapter 1. First sentence on Chapter 1 has basically been the beginning of all of my books all the way through. And, of course, I've changed it as I've gone through, but that's my process. I mean, other people plot extensively, of course, and they'd be spending weeks or months plotting Um other people, you know, will write and change and develop things as they go. But I, yeah, I tend to. I have an idea about the characters. I have an idea about what the themes are. Occupation is really important for me, um, for um, for the my writing. So I often have professions that really interest me. So, you know, <laughs> a teacher, an occupational therapist or an environmental biologist or whatever. Um, so I have that sort of stuff going on. And I obviously do quite a lot of research as well as I'm writing. Um, but yeah, I think whichever way you write, though, it just takes
0: it takes a long time. It does. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. So you have mentioned that you are such a engaged and supportive member of the writing community. And. I believe that has been a real factor in your success as well because it's given you, apart from writing fantastic books, it's also given you visibility um, and profile. Now, some aspiring writers and established writers hearing that just say, I just want to stay at home and and type away and I don't want to go out and talk to people. <laughs> That was me. (laughs) That was me too.
1: Well, and I think often as an aspiring writer too, you feel like, oh, but I haven't written a book yet, or I haven't finished yet, I haven't worked at it, and and that's something that you do develop gradually. And what I tend to think is, and I've never been a you know like a a deliberate networker, but. Certain people you become friendly with. They're you just things you have in common, and one of them will be writing and they'll be respectful of your work and they'll and so it's developing friendships as much as anything. Going to a book launch is a fantastic way to actually meet There, often aspiring writers there. Um there'll be the author themselves who love to meet you and speak to you. Um and there'll be lots of other writers there. Uh, you know, and so doing a courses, things like that. But it's not something that you'd really do deliberate to get something out of it, yet you get a lot out of it. And I think that's something I have learned and that's probably something I would have, I didn't know when I started, you know, how valuable that could be. And I've just, I'm just i just lucky enough to be now in a wonderful writing group with a lot of your other friends and graduates or teachers in the course, you know, Pamela Cook and Michelle Barraclough mm. and, and Joanna Nell and a number of others. And But that came about just through friendships. Joanna uh, Nell actually contacted me because um, we were both living in Avalon at the time and she knew my first book was about to come out. And so she hadn't been published. She hadn't got a publishing deal, but it's that sort of thing. So, you know, I, my book hadn't been out. I was no way famous at all. Mm -hmm. Joe was still an aspiring writer and yet, you know, that
0: friendship was formed. And now look at both of you. You're eight books down the track. Joanna Nell's written so many books as well, also um, very successful. So I I want to just unpack that a little bit because there are some aspiring writers who, because one of the things that you said was you do it without expecting to get anything out of it. And there are, I have spoken to um, some aspiring writers who say, oh, yeah, I went to that event, but I got nothing out of it, or I went to that event, but I didn't meet anyone you know, I didn't meet a publisher or whatever. What do you mean by do participate in the writing community without expecting to get anything out of it? Well, to the extent obviously if you um,
1: you know, going to conferences and so on is useful and then, you know, it's like doing courses that you may well get um You'll get something out of it in that professional respect, but as far as the networking kind of respect or getting to know other authors and learning from each other, I think it's giving back because I think often that you know we we help each other out because as writers, whether you're an aspiring writer or a really established writer, we all absolutely. Are terrified most of the time, (laughs) sending a book off to a publisher. You just don't often have that confidence in your work that you might have. And that's where the great thing, I suppose, when you are published, because you realize how extraordinarily important an editor is. (laughs) And I often say to, you know, sparring or emerging writers as well, it's, um, you know, you can spend 10 years on the same book because you want it to be perfect. But actually, if you send it off to the publisher, they're going to, if they really, if they like your writing because you've worked at your craft, if they like your voice, which is just something you work at but um, it, it's it's just there, and if they like the premise or the vibe of what you're doing in your book, then they will work with you um, to make it the best that it can be. And and I think for all, all authors it's when it's through that editing process where you have time to reflect and consider your work with other professional feedback on that work that is where you learn so much too Mm. So, but I think it's natural friendship I think it's making friends it's being open to making friends to and to helping others there's somebody in the room that may well be shyer than you are and and that's that then that's the person you'd go up to and you stand there and say oh I came last year have you been here before and there there we go there's a contact there's a friend
0: yeah, fantastic. One of the things, apart from networking, one of the things that you've mentioned to me is that um, you think it's important to develop skills in marketing and social media. Now, when you first started writing, were you on social media and how did you develop these no. skills? <laughs> I'd,
1: spent, I'd spent like... Oh, many, many, many years say, telling my children about the evils of Facebook and having everything supervised and absolutely not, no social media, no anything at all like that. Um, So that was, and I did wait um, until really basically I knew that my first book in at the deep end was going to be published and I thought, oh, oh, I, I know that you have to have social media, you have to do this, you have to do that, and, you know, and, of course, we all know in theory authenticity you have to be authentic. But I didn't know, you know, my public persona, what, you know, I, I didn't know what authentic kind of was or what it meant. And so I really did have to start right from the beginning with that. And funnily, I mean, on Facebook because, you know, you have to have a page. So I'd read, I mean, I was good at reading theory. I'm good at looking things up, um, you know, like we all are. Rather than talking to somebody, I'll just look it up, Um And so then, you know, with Facebook, for example, you know, I had a page, which is a professional page, but then you have your, um, your profile, which is your personal profile. And I thought, well, I don't want to be on Facebook. I don't, I don't want a profile. I'll just have my professional page. This is my job. I'll do this professional thing. And, and then Rachel Johns, who's a gorgeous, extremely successful author, um, and she's with the same publisher and she, um, contact me, she said, I can't join you to this group of HarperCollins authors that I want to join you to. And then we worked out this because I had no friends on Facebook because I hadn't set it up that way. So Rachel is my first friend on Facebook. Now that is our author community, I suppose that is someone like that reaching out and helping me do that was um, was great.
0: <laughs> so did you just get over this oh social media is evil? kind of attitude
1: (laughs) (laughs) um no well I again I see it as a professional space now and so it is part of my job that I have um I don't have Twitter or anything but I have um Facebook and have some gorgeous you know people who follow me on Facebook and they read all my books and and that's really wonderful um and I have um and have Instagram and I quite like Instagram Quite like taking photos um, my dog and my cat and going horse riding and so on um and but it has taken years to develop that authenticity i think probably if i started earlier and i think that would be some advice i give for an aspiring author and actually i was in contact with um with an aspiring author recently and she had a private page so she'd asked to follow me on instagram but i don't really follow people back necessarily on their private pages because mine isn't private everything you see is stuff that i'm um, Happy to share if there's ever a photo of a cute grandchild, you know, I obviously always put it past the parents. So it's, but it is stuff that's out there in public. And I think as a writer and aspiring writer, even then you have that more public page. That's the one that you can share with everybody.
0: I like you. how you say on your website when you point to your Instagram page, my Instagram feed is flowers, books, oceans and landscapes, no filters, fillers, padding or cropping, just me. So that's where the authenticity comes through, obviously. Um, I, I think you're just this wonderful uh, case study that people should look at at your authenticity in social media and your beautiful website, which is not only easy to navigate, it's informative. And it really, because you blog as well, you know, and you just might blog about your travels or non-writing-related things, but also writing-related things, um, readers get a real sense of connection with you. So you mentioned before that, you know, some readers, you read all your books and obviously you get feedback from readers what's that feedback like what what is it that they are connecting with um yes it's, it's generally it's positive but that's
1: something else as a writer that you get feedback from people you know most of them that get back to them of them that gets back to me personally it's wonderful because they're all really really positive about everything and that's fantastic um sometimes the feedback isn't you know there are good reads there are all sorts of reader platforms um and like with any writer you know occasionally there are things that aren't aren't so good um but yeah, it's well. What they say, I suppose they often in my books they find things they don't expect to find. So if it's somebody who's you know would always has read romance, but they like the environmental aspects, but romance readers then again are pretty broad ranging readers. They read over a lot of genres. I think you'll have more narrowness, um, not always by any means at all, but some people might. Like psychological thrillers, and they don't always go beyond that. Although it's been really good, actually, with a promotion with my latest with Shelter from the Storm, because that was sent out to, um, there was a better reading promotion. So there are 100 books set out to people who, and some were probably romance readers and say, Alexa, but quite a lot of reviews have said, I don't read romance. Or I don't normally read romance. And so it's been lovely. They've been really nice. Mm. comments in that I don't do romance but and they've actually found an awful lot of other stuff in my book as I will find a romance anywhere give me a tragedy I will find romance (laughs) in it because that's the sort of stuff I look for you know I grew up on D.H. Lawrence and um, Charles Dickens and all those classics my parents had and yes I didn't realize what I was looking for then but there was that connection between characters.
0: Wonderful. All right. Well, I think whether you, I think that's absolutely right. For people who don't normally read romance, this is they're still going to love this book because I think that there's there's seen even as an exercise in analyzing the way you write. I know that sounds a bit scary, but you write so beautifully. Your dialogue is so authentic. Your exposition is seamless. I think that people should read it, even just to see the way you include backstory and include hints about characters and situations, just seamlessly in in what you write. Obviously, there's a real sense of place. Um, so, congratulations oh, thank on you for, thank you, for fantastic book. <laughs> so, if you had to give your top three writing tips, so people can, you know be as fabulous a writer as you. Uh, if you had to give your top three writing tips, what would they be? Oh, uh,
1: to try, finish your piece of work, whatever it might be. Maybe that's your chapter or your or your um, short story or let alone your novel, but to finish that piece of work and, and find space. And there's a lot of joy in the writing, um, to be able to find that joy in the writing and to really feel that... Um, they've you know that you've succeeded in it and and i think in that way it is and i guess this leads to my second point um find people around you who understand that process and it won't always be your friends and your family they won't understand it but you definitely will find people within the writing community who also understand it um everybody says read widely of course um, that is so important but also have faith in in what you know um, and your own voice. So it's sometimes we read other people's books and you might think, oh, I could never do that. Or I'd never know about this. Or, I'd never do it this way. No, you won't. Cause your voice is unique, absolutely unique. And it really is a matter of having faith in your voice that you have something to say, that you have a story to tell that nobody else can tell that story and you can tell it in your own way, but you won't be able to share that with readers until you've actually finished the, the piece of work.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Penny. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Valerie. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au forward slash book. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Penelope Janu. I just love seeing graduates succeed and just go from strength to strength. And I just love keeping in touch with them and seeing where they go all these years later when they've carved out some you know, longevity in their author career. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, I want to share a fun fact with you. You know the at symbol that we use every day in email addresses? Well, that was originally an accounting term as a shorthand for at, um, like five items at $3 each equals $15. And you'd think that such a common symbol would have a name. But in English, there is no common standard name for the at symbol, just sort of at. There are a few contenders such as Aspirand or ampersat, not ampersand, which is of course is the and sign. But these you know aspirand and ampersat are not commonly known or used, and they're not in the Macquarie dictionary, so I don't count them. But in other languages there are some great names. In Swedish, the at symbol is called an elephant trunk. You can see it, right? In Italian, it's a snail. You can see that too. And in Bulgarian, Polish and Croatian, it's a monkey. (laughs) All right, there you go. Just a nice fun fact for you to impress your friends at Pub Trivia. Okay, we've come to the end of this week's episode. You can feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm also at ValerieKoo.com. But please do connect in the Facebook group. There's some great conversations happening in there. It's where I share some links and people from the Australian Writers' Centre team share resources. So it'll be great to have you in there as well. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.